The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. We've discovered the world's best craftsmen and techniques. Using materials native to the region and tools accustomed to individual craftsmen, we strive for perfection every step of the way. With all of this, you'll see the details of your own story, the story of a life well-crafted. This is the story Craft tells. Welcome to the House of Roll. of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Good morning, and welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. Well, we've had another week of uh, unbelievable news uh, from a hurricane that came out of nowhere uh, with hundreds missing. I mean, the, the Florida panhandle will never be exactly the same after the passage of Hurricane Michael. And Virginia and North Carolina are once more underwater. So again, on this Sunday morning, um, before we turn our attention to local issues, let's remember that uh, a really good way to help your fellow Americans is um, with a small donation to the Red Cross. These people are going to need all the help that we can give them. Um, it is also an issue for the Florida um, gubernatorial and senatorial races because the so-called Florida panhandle is often uh, referred to as um, the Redneck Riviera. And so it may impact um, the conservative vote in the state of Florida. So again, if you can help, um, you know, $10, $20 to the American Red Cross designated for Hurricane Michael relief will help a lot of people. And they need all the help we can give them. In addition, um, you know me, I'm a numbers person. So you'll remember that we've spent the two last weeks in the most horrific political circus over one seat on the United States Supreme Court. Well, in the aftermath of that, it causes causing me to wonder what's really in that additional um, FBI background. Um, the uh, Democrats in uh, the Senate uh, agreed to 15 additional judicial uh, nominations being approved. These are all conservative judges, um, all from, you know, reviewed by the Federalist Society as well as the American Bar Association. Fifteen of them, without a dissenting vote, went through on a voice vote uh, and so that 
the Senate could adjourn and senators could go home and campaign for re-election. Now, if you're puzzled by that, so am I. But the cynic in me says there's something, there's another shoe that's about to fall. But we don't know what that shoe is. So as we know, as a businesswoman, I focus a lot on the numbers. Because the numbers tell me what's out of the norm, what we got to pay attention to, and what me and needs immediate triage, and how we can prioritize necessary changes. So this week, we're going to spend this hour talking about the 11 ballot propositions on the California ballot. <clears throat> it took me five hours to read them all and do the math. Uh, and so I'm going to save you about four and a half hours by telling you what's in those propositions. And when $14 million is not enough, you will notice there is no candidate statement from our friend Gavin Newsom in your uh, ballot preparation paperwork. And that's because you have to agree to a $14 million limit on your spending in the general election in order to participate in this public service. So uh, Gavin chose to spend more money looking purdy on TV and not give us a candidate statement. So I'm still trying to figure out other than, um, you know, give me your tired, your poor, your humbled masses, what it is that Gavin is running on. Certainly not his personal behavior as mayor of San Francisco. And I, for one, I don't know about you, but I object to a stealth gubernatorial campaign. This is the second most important job in America. We are the sixth richest economy in the world. The governor must act as a governor in the small, you know, in the in the uh, control the speed of your car sense um, on an out of control legislature. And yet, this man does not believe that he needs to debate the issues in front of the people he wishes to govern. We'll talk about that more on another Sunday before Election Day. And in the few moments we'll have left over after the propositions, I'm still really puzzled about the two cracked beams in the new Salesforce transit hub in San Francisco. I mean, it took us close to a decade to build the thing, and it was open for a couple of weeks, and they discovered that the ceiling um, is in danger of falling. What the heck is wrong at Caltrans? So we'll talk about that a little bit. But I really did want to give you... um, a, a quick overview of the 11 ballot propositions. In total, in total, those 11 propositions will add 26 billion with a B dollars to the state's indebtedness. And that's equal to, this should scare you, only about one half of 1% of the current debt service ratio. And that's not really a huge deal in a $201 billion budget with a projected surplus of $9 billion. But that surplus can disappear in an instant. We know that. We saw it in 2000, 
um, in 2000, 2001, and we saw it in 2008, 2009. And it, it has taken us this long, it has taken us a decade to pull out of the deficit in 2008, 2009. So I would not have spent that budget deficit, that budget surplus. I'd have saved it because one of these days we're going to have a rainy day and we're going to need it. Because the econ- if the economists are correct and the legislative an- analysis depends on those economists, California will not see a real recession in 2019 or 2020, but it will experience year-over-year slowing growth, and that means slowing tax revenues. And you have to add to that the uncertainty in taxpayers, especially middle-class taxpayers, who are mortgaged to the hilt um, and, and pay uh, high or higher, and who will pay high or higher state income tax and higher federal income tax as a result of the changes to the deductibility of mortgage interest, property tax, and state income and use taxes at the federal level. Remember that beginning this year, you will only be able to deduct a total of $10,000 for all of those taxes in, in the, on your federal return. So if you are paying, um, I think for most Californians, that will be okay if you've owned your house for five or, or 10 years, your property tax are more in the 3000 than in the $10,000 range. Um, if you're uh, a middle income earner, your state income tax will be in the two to $4,000 range and your taxes will not be affected. If you are a recent homeowner and you are more, and you mortgage yourself to the hilt to get that into that one and a half million dollar bungalow, um, it's going to be a problem for you because you're property tax and uh, state income tax will probably be at least a third higher than the $10,000 limit. So uh, we're going to see some changes as a result of that in terms of tax collection and the ability to pay. And then there's the fact that California has the highest rate of poverty among its residents of any of the 50 states. And that disparity between the upper incomes, what, what we see in the center of Silicon Valley and in you know downtown Los Angeles with the rest of the state, that gap is growing. So there are growing demands for social services and that will consume more revenue that might otherwise be used to pay down debt or reduce the unfunded public employee pension and healthcare liabilities that are not accounted for in that debt service ratio. So much as the proponents of the 11 propositions would like you to only look at their little, at their little siloed benefits for, you know, each idea has some siloed benefit, but you've got to look at this holistically as both a taxpayer and a voter you've got to take a step back and take a look at the longer and broader picture and how these little bitty bit um, siloed initiatives will impact that larger picture. And while we're looking at the broader and bigger picture, that Category 4 Hurricane Michael that we just talked about in the Florida panhandle could just as easily be a major quake 
on the Hayward or San Andreas Faults, centered anywhere from Berkeley to central Los Angeles. And if you think those pictures of utter destruction not only demand that we do something to help those people, it also reminds us of what San Francisco's Soma District will look like the morning after. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk about the propositions in detail. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And when we went to break, I was reminding us all that You know, we live in earthquake country, and the devastation which we saw in uh, Florida this week uh, could happen to us at any moment. Uh, They tell us we're overdue. And how does that relate to these ballot propositions? Well, again, thinking not just of the 2018 tax year, but the outlying years of the, you know, sometimes 30 years over which these propositions will have to be paid for. Um, you got to remember that it's incumbent on the state of California's government to be sure that we have the best possible credit rating, because when it the the day comes uh, that the earth shakes, as it did in Northridge, as it did here in the Bay Area 20 years ago, um, we're going to need to be able to borrow a lot of money to rebuild and rebuild quickly. So keeping our credit rating, making sure we don't spend money unnecessarily when we have it, is in the best interests of all taxpayers. So having said that, let's talk about 11 crazy propositions. The first one looks at state housing programs. And let me summarize what it is in three phrases. It's too little, it's too slow, And with too little money, it tries to do too much. It authorizes bonds to fund existing housing programs for for, uh, low-income, building low-income housing. Uh, It estimates it will be five years before any of that housing actually appears. Well, what are these people to do in the meantime? It talks about building emergency shelters, but it has no provisions to override um, municipal uh, restrictions on where those facilities can be built. And again, it has no immediate impact. And so we are left with, um, with a hodgepodge of small pools of money that don't really affect the overall uh, problem of the cost and availability of housing in in this state. If you want to do something about housing, then you've got to really spend money on it and you've got to spend that money quickly. And before you come to the ballot with a proposition, you best know exactly where you're going to build that affordable housing. You've got to have the relationships developed with developers, et cetera. And so I'm really torn on this because it does provide um, 
about a billion dollars in veterans housing and CalVet funding, and I normally vote for bonds for veterans to be able to buy houses with smaller down payments. But there's so much bad stuff. There's so much um, ability to waste uh, the other, well, two-thirds of the money in this provision without taking a single solitary one of the 134,000 homeless people in the state off the streets. It doesn't do anything for the next four or five years to ameliorate the the difficulty for people who work in service industries, for instance, middle-income people, to find affordable housing. So um, I, I'm not sure. I haven't decided how I'm going to vote on it, but um, I will tell you that, um, um, again, it's too little. It, it, it lacks urgency. And it, it's too little money trying to do too many things, and so it will fail at all of them. So that probably means I'm going to vote no. Proposition 2 authorizes bonds to fund existing housing programs for individuals with mental illness. With 5,000 people in, in San Francisco um, sleeping on the streets and the city spending tens of millions of dollars trying to clean up the streets, one would think... This is a no-brainer. The problem is uh, because it is aimed at getting the addicted and the mentally ill off the streets. But the problem is that it takes, it's not new money. It's not an additional source of revenue that will allow counties to build shelters and, and to force people off the streets and into treatment programs. Um, it, it simply takes $142 million that's already allocated to the counties and lets the state re- reassign that money so that it can um, be used for housing instead of treatment. And while I think housing is a fundamental part of treatment, I think you can't make people well if they're sleeping on the streets. Um, the first component of health is um, to have shelter and and food and clothing and heat in the winter. Um, I don't know that this is the right approach. You, you need to add money. Um, this is, take some of the money that you're using to clean the streets in San Francisco, for example. And, and, and there is an initiative on the San Francisco ballot that's getting a lot of support from Salesforce and some other major employers in the city to help to create short-term, you know, quick-fix shelter. It's not a permanent apartment, but it'll get some of these people off the streets and get them into a facility where they have hygiene and and other things. Um, And I think that's step one. So again, um, the intent, Proposition 2, was written by the legislature to get around a a court... um, action against the law they've already written and passed and the governor signed that would have reassigned the money already in these county programs. And so instead of fighting the court battle, they said, "Ah, we'll take it to the voters and the voters will say, yes, yes, get the people off the streets. Well, I want to get people off the streets, but um, to claim that the uh, Los Angeles program um, is a model for how to do it is laugh out loud funny. That program helped uh, 3,600 people in a year and a half. That is 2.6% of the state's homeless population. 
and there are no guarantees in this legislation that cities will allow additional residential treatment facilities. So that $142 could end up in Sacramento in limbo, not being used for treatment, but not being not finding a home uh, in some existing structure that the neighbors don't want to see used for short-term um, care for the homeless. And so unless we change that underlying uh, NIMBY principle, not in my neighbor back and not in my backyard, uh, I don't think that this proposition can be successful um, or that it's the right money to use for this. Prop thir- three is another one of a series of water bond measures that have hit the ballot since the worst of the drought in 2014 and 2015. And again, again, let's start by saying that there is no strategic framework that answers the really important long-term questions about water in California. And those questions start with a very simple one, and we'll talk about it for a second before we go to break. And that question is, how does this bond measure or any bond measure provide more water for all the people who want to live in California? And we'll be back in just a moment to talk about why and why not Proposition 3 addresses that question. Back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back. Only a third of the way through those California propositions. As we went to break, I asked again this problem that we've got with water. Water is finite. And that we lack a strategic framework that answers the question how does how do we provide more water for all the people who want to live in California if water is a finite resource and it's one somewhat beyond our control if we depend on uh, rainfall and um, snowfall for the majority of our water. And you know what? Sometime in the very near future, we're going to have to address that question, and it's going to be an unpleasant conversation, but we're going to have to get open and honest with one another. California is a semi-arid place. That means that water is finite, has always been finite. The San Jose Mercury News ran a story um, several years ago in which they showed a several thousand year geological map of droughts and um and uh, floods etc um and demonstrated that the problems we've seen in the last 10 years are not new they're uh endemic to california so reducing individual consumption to 50 gallons per person per day by the early 2020s Sounds like a great idea until you recognize it does nothing to solve the problem if you have X number of additional people using 50 gallons. For example, if you have 
10 people using 55 gallons, that's 550. Uh, and if those 10 people can then cut it down to 50 gallons, you save 50 gallons of water. But if you have 20 people using 50 gallons of water, you actually then, um, you know, have uh, 20 times 50 is 1,000 gallons of, of water instead of 100. And so you then are using more water even if each person is using less water. So uh, <clears throat> Proposition 3, in its blithe way, ignores that fundamental mathematical problem. And I'm not sure off the top of my head that my numbers were, were my, my uh, multiplication was totally correct. But um, you, got the, you get the gist. So... Again, we need to ask if we had if we had a decent gubernatorial campaign running, we could ask some of those questions of the people who want to govern us. You know, how do we deal with a how do we equitably distribute a finite resource over um, a uh, infinitely growing um, number of people? Uh, and the answer to that is it's mathematically impossible. But. We're not having that kind of gubernatorial campaign. So we've got to look at Proposition 3 and say, should we or should we not support this? I'm probably going to vote for it because two-thirds of the money funds two very important priorities. Number one, it repairs the federally owned Madeira and Frant Kern ca uh, canals that are absolutely essential to Central Valley agriculture. You know, the big wide expanse of water that runs along I-5. Um, those, those canals are now well, 60 plus years old, and so repairing them is really uh, will save water. Um, and the other major priority in this legislation is to repair Oroville Dam. And we saw winter before last just how fragile that dam is and what an ecological disaster it would be if it failed. So I think we've got to support this particular uh, initiative. The rest of the money is just frittered away in little you know, bits and pieces, and it's another sleight of hand to move. So carbon tax cap and trade uh, 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 cap and trade receipts that are quite nebulous. We don't really know if they're going to come to fruition, but we're spending them in advance, okay, to help major water agencies like the Department of Water Resources and Metropolitan Water in Los Angeles uh, compensate for their increased electric costs associated with reducing greenhouse gases. Now, I'm a little bit confused by that because both DWR and Metropolitan are actually net producers uh, of electricity, of hydroelectric power in the independent system um, operators network. So I'm not quite sure why they need that, but um, they're two great organizations. They do a lot. They're really important to us both in terms of power, water, and um, ecology, and even recreation. So you know, if, if that cap-and-trade money is there, I think that would be a good way to spend it. So Proposition 3, I will support. Proposition 4 provides funding to refurbish uh, or build new uh, facilities on the site of and acquire new technology for the state's 13 children's hospitals who, ser who serve more than 2 million young um, 
very, very ill, in some cases, children annually. This is an investment. It's an investment in better children's health. So I've got two little nitpicky issues with it. One of them is that 75% of the money goes to Los Angeles and San Diego, which is only 62% of the population. But both UC Davis and Lucille Packard at Stanford receive funding under the proposal. And since these are grant programs, um, I think $15 million for state administration is a bit excessive, but, you know, we got to pay the bureaucrats. Um, so we're talking about government in California. So Proposition 4, I think, deserves our support. Um, it will be good for our kids. Um, proposition 5, well, Proposition 5 depends. It's an age-related proposition on real estate. And so um, I think because it's complicated, we might want to um, take a, a quick early break for... Um, to pay, to pay the bills and come back and talk about it in one fell swoop because it, it's the most complicated of the propositions. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back talking about California's complicated ballot, um, 11 propositions. My goodness, we're going to run out of time because we're only up to number five. Um, if you've got questions, comments, whatever, 888-367-5329. <clears throat> and that's 888-367-5329. So Proposition 5 changes requirements for certain property owners transferring their property tax base when they sell and repurchase a home. What this uh, initiative does is it expands the existing law that allows someone over 55 years of age who is, or somebody who is disabled or a person dislocated because of natural disaster, the ability to take their existing property tax base with them to a new home. Under existing law, the new home has to be of equal or lesser value, um, but the new law would allow you to buy a home of greater value um, on the assumption that if you are, uh, that, you know, California's crazy, unaffordable housing market, you might have to pay more. Um, and it attempts, it ha creates a formula that would attempt to bridge the difference between um, the inequity between e the fifth someone who's qualified uh, to have a lower tax base than their next door neighbor. Um, and it's, it's quite a generous formula for the purchaser. Um, existing law says that you can only move within the same county. The new law allows you to take your tax base with you anywhere in the state. The new law, the existing law, allows you only one one-time transfer uh, on, as, an ex, as a special, one of these special case people. Um, the new law removes any restrictions on the number of homes the original base and adjustments can uh, move to. And it also um, does allow, in the case, you know, in a case like mine where I wanted to get something smaller, 
under uh, under this new law, you would actually see a slight decrease. If you bought a less expensive home, you would see a, um, than your sale price, you would see a slight decrease in your um, property tax, but not a measurable one. So I've got mixed feelings about this one. If you think Prop 13 is fair, you will vote for this proposition because it doubles down on the idea that seniors are disadvantaged by the rapidly rising price of homes and the associated property tax basis. If you think Prop 13 is unfair to newer homeowners under 55, this proposition expands that inequity. If you're concerned about public schools in our state and who isn't, They are largely dependent on property tax revenues. And the legislative analyst estimates that the loss in property tax revenue will be from $100 million a year to over a billion dollars a year. And so you have to think about that when making a decision. And I will frankly tell you, I'm not sure, but I'm inclined to want to think. um, I'm torn. I'm torn uh, less about the over 55, more about someone dislocated who is disabled or dislocated in a um, in a uh, natural disaster. And we've certainly seen a lot of those. If we move along to Proposition 6, that will roll back. Prop 6 is a big one. Prop 6 will roll back the 2017 legislation that increased gas taxes and vehicle fees and it's the most regressive form of taxation on earth. Beginning in 2020, zero emission vehicles will have to pay 100 bucks a year vehicle tax. But beginning this year, <laughs> a gas-powered vehicle will pay 43 cents a gallon rather than the existing 18 cents a gallon in state um, gasoline tax. So I ran the numbers. If you drive just enough to use one 15-gallon tank a week, you will pay $338 more in taxes next year. So this, to me, is another example of the Tesla millionaire getting richer, while the average motorist who needs a vehicle with a capacity of more than 100 miles that costs less than $40,000, because it's their multi-purpose vehicle, And those people get poorer, and that's unfair. So not all the money raised will go to road improvements either. An unspecified amount will go to funding transit projects. And so if you have an out-of-control high-speed rail project, think about this as a legislative slush fund. The opponents of this proposition say that all the work on deficient bridges, etc., will stop if voters vote for Prop 6, and that's not true. We're already spending $35 billion on transportation projects in California funded by state, local, and federal taxes. The passage of this proposition also does not prevent the legislature from going back to the drawing board and coming up with a proposal that meets the needs of Californians and then putting that proposition on the 2020 ballot, because one of the things that Prop 6 does is it takes away from the legislature the, the ability to unilaterally increase gasoline taxes. And I'm not sure I love that, but given the California legislature, it's probably a very good safety valve. So if you vote no on Proposition 6, you are not going to end up with more with with um, crumbling streets. 
you will end up giving the legislature the challenge to go back and create legislation that meets the needs of the people of California today, in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years, and bring it back to you in 2020 on the ballot in a way which is clear and fair and progressive rather than regressive. End of sermon. Prop 7 conforms California daylight saving time to federal law. It's very simple until you get to the fine print. Right now, it, to go to 20, 12 months, all the time, daylight saving time, you would have to come back, the legislature would have to come back to the citizens and say, do you want to do that? Okay, that's the existing 1949 law. What this proposition does is say, oh, the legislature, with a two-thirds vote, that supermajority um, of leftists in the uh, state legislature could unilaterally and without recourse from the citizenry put us on a 12-month um, daylight saving schedule and create havoc with our, you know, transportation systems because uh, the rest of the country wouldn't be with us. Um, so the only reason this is on the ballot is because the legislature wants to do this. So this is pretty quick and simple. No. You've heard a lot about Prop 8. It regulates licensed dialysis community treatment facilities, and it says they can only earn 115% of direct costs. And because the majority of those patients are Medicare, which automatically takes, it doesn't matter how old you are, if you're, you're on dialysis after a 30-month transition from private insurance, you go on to Medicare. Dialysis is saving, it's saving lives, but it costs about $150,000 a year per patient. So Blue Cross says the ratio is they need 3,800 healthy patients to one dialysis patient. Medicare only pays about 90% of the actual cost in California, so the private clinics need to charge private patients more in order to stay open. So Prop 8 requires that if you make more than 115% of uh, of direct cost, okay, doesn't... doesn't um, allow for the administrative costs of a major corporation with multiple sites, et cetera, that you, you're not allowed to, to claim that, that you have to provide a rebate uh, basically to the private insurers of any revenue higher than 115%. And the catch is that there's no provision that those rebates have to be shared with you, the consumer. That's one problem with this. Uh, if you limit these clinics to the point where they're really not profitable for these national corporations, you do a couple of bad things. You you eliminate easy access for the people who depend on these to stay alive, on to you know need dialysis three times a week to stay alive. Okay, and and also you and by doing that, you do add to the strain on our emergency medical system. Um, and if you, uh, if, and there are, of course, um, complaints, one of the, the arguments, um, complains about some of the, um, hygiene con conditions, et cetera, in some of these clinics, you don't need this proposition to fix that problem. You need the Department of Public Health to do what they get paid for, which is to, um, inspect and make sure that these places are up to snuff 
So as a from the bottom line, from the bottom line, what this feels like is a scheme cooked up by the insurance companies who are looking for a way to reduce their coverage costs for patients with pre-existing conditions. And it is also because who did I not mention? Ooh, yeah. It's a business opportunity for hospitals and HMOs with their own owned clinics because they would have to cover that additional dialysis business um, because they are not covered and they're not constrained by this initiative. So if you think dialysis at $150,000 is expensive, then vote yes on this proposition. If you think that $150,000 and access to um, life-saving technology close to your home is important for these patients, then vote no on Proposition 8. Proposition 10 is a rent control measure. And so I'm wondering if maybe we should, because I'm looking at the clock, maybe we should wait to next week to talk about Proposition 10, 11, and 12. And we'll be back in just a moment with a few closing thoughts. Now, back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back with a few closing thoughts. We've talked about, or at least I've yapped about, um, eight of the uh, 11 proposals um, for your vote, uh, initiative proposals for your vote on the ballot uh, in three weeks. And we'll cover the last three next week. Wow, something for you to look forward to. Uh, again, if you have questions, if, if you've got a different opinion, you know, I'd love to hear from you about that. Um, I'm you know, one person. And so while we're on the subject of spending a lot of bond money, there's something that's really been troubling me about the Salesforce Transbay terminal problem. This brand new, long-awaited Transbay Transit terminal in San Francisco that was supposed to bring together you know, all the various modes of uh, local public transit under one roof well, it was open for a couple of weeks, uh, and then it had to be closed because there were cracks found in the steel beam beams that hold up the ceiling. Wow, does that sound familiar? Because it should, because there are similar problems with the new Bay Bridge. And so if we had a legislature interested in really providing good government for the citizens of the state of California, we would say it's time for a major investigation. What is wrong with Caltrans? You know, it's not just these catastrophic failures. It's the everyday stuff. Like, why does it cost 62% more in California to build a mile of freeway than it does in any other state in the union? What's so special about us? So what's flawed in Caltrans' design process? What is flawed with their major project budget and management process? They're always cost, cost overruns. But nobody ever asks why. What's wrong with the contractor selection and contractor management process that leads to these, oh, gee, we've built it, but it's already in disrepair. 
And what's wrong with their material procurement process that you buy materials that, or you will let your contractors buy materials that are of, uh, that don't, that don't meet snuff when you put them into the ceiling of a building in earthquake country. I mean, we haven't even had a minor quake and they're cracked. Can you imagine what would happen in a big one? So what's wrong with that process? I could go on, but I think you got the picture. So call your legislature, legislator. If you are going to go to a town hall, one of those few things they, you know, believe that they need to force themselves to do and actually meet you, um, ask them, where, where's the investigation? Why can't we fix this problem? Caltrans is a problem. It's been a problem. I can't remember a time when it was not a problem. And one last thing before we go to close is the new president of the San Francisco Board of Education started his first meeting by refusing to say or allow to be said the Pledge of Allegiance to the United States. So just how far does the Republic of California want to go? Go to reimagineamerica.org and you'll find an interesting blog on that subject. Reimagine has launched a new website. It's not a tweak. Uh, check out reimagineamerica.org for new content, new audio, and a new feature of the thought of the day. You can also find us on Facebook at reimagine-america, and you can find me on Twitter at Joyce Cordy. And until next week, have a wonderful day, a wonderful week. Don't fill out your ballot till we finished out talking about these propositions, and we'll be back to talk about the candidates. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.